fixing our eyes on godly things and distancing ourselves from idols around us. In the silence of our hearts, let's bring before God times when we might have fallen short. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Finally, Father, we pray for St. Dee's. We praise you for this place, this space, the joy here, and your continual blessing. Thank you for Tim and Joe, Will and Lisa, Dee and Matthew, Mark, Jamie, and Elizabeth. For house group leaders and all who serve here, bless them, Lord. We pray especially for Elizabeth and Harry this week, following their sad news, and pray that you would comfort and support all of their family. Father, bless relationships in this congregation, between couples, between parents and children, and between friends. Help us encourage one another. We commit ourselves to you afresh today, and ask for your blessings on our lives so that we may love you more dearly and serve others today and this week. We ask these things for the sake of your Son, our Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us say together the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory, for ever and ever. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you very much, Sophie, for leading us in our prayers. Now, Rosemary Sissons is going to come and read to us from the book of Exodus, uh, which you'll find in your church Bibles there. Rosemary's just making her way up to the lectern. The reading is taken from the book of Exodus, chapter 5, beginning at verse 22. It can be found on page 60 of the Church Bible. Moses returned to the Lord and said, Why, Lord, why have you brought trouble on these people? Is this why you sent me? Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has brought trouble on this people, and you have not rescued your people at all. Then the Lord said to Moses, Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Because of my mighty hand, he will let them go. Because of my mighty hand, he will drive them out of his country. God also said to Moses, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them 
to give them the land of Canaan where they resided as foreigners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the Israelites whom the Egyptians are enslaving, and I have remembered my covenant. Therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God, who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. And I will bring you to the land I swore with uplifted hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you very much, Rosemary. Now, just give me a second. I just need to do a bit of stage management. Just, um, I felt that the stage was a bit empty, so I thought, bring a few more things up here. Hopefully everything's still plugged in. There we go. Excellent. Brilliant. Well, we're in our third of our series on um, the names of God today. And we come to the name, in in a sense, we can say again, the name above all names with this name, the I am, the Lord that we come across here in Exodus chapter 6. As we approach and hear about this living God, let's just turn to prayer once more. Living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, live in our hearts as we approach your word today, this name. Open our hearts to receive you and open your word to us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So God appears to Moses here for the second time and says, I am the Lord. The first time, you may remember, was at the burning bush. Here, God is a consuming fire appears to uh, Moses saying, I am the Lord, a new name for the living God, at a crunch time for Moses. And here we have even bigger crunch time for him as he's gone to speak to Pharaoh to say, let my people go, says the Lord. And Pharaoh says, no, I won't let your people go. And in fact, I'm going to make their slavery even harder. And so the Israelites complain to Moses. We hear in earlier in chapter 5. What have you done? By going to speak to Pharaoh, you've made life even worse for us. 
And uh, the passage that we have before us today is Moses crying out to God in, in, a, in a crunch time. He's taken a risk on God. And now things seem to be even worse than they were before. Out of the frying pan and into the fire for Moses. And God says, I am the Lord. But just by way of um, context, this is the third in our series on the names of God. And if you were with us before, you'll have remembered the story of Hagar, who is the first person we hear giving a name, attributing a name to God. Hagar, who was Abram and Sarah's um, slave girl, Sarai, as she was called at that time, her slave girl, treated badly um, and running away from Abram and Sarai. And she's met by the angel of the Lord there. And the angel of the Lord says, the Lord has heard of your problems. The Lord sees it. And therefore, uh, um, Hagar here, the first person in the Bible to attribute a name to God, strangely, not an Israelite, not a man, but a slave girl from Egypt, attributes a name to God saying, you are the God that sees me. And then last week, Tim was telling us about uh, the name uh, God Almighty, El Shaddai, a God who can be um, depended upon, the God like a rock or a mountain, who is firm and sticks by his promises. And so then, the time goes on and we come back to Moses here. So uh, after Abram, we see uh, God's promise to Isaac and then to Jacob, Isaac's son, and then Jacob's sons, Joseph, and his technicolor dream coat moves off to, uh, we could all sort of hum along to, uh, <laughs> to the soundtrack of that, as Joseph, with his technicolor dream coat, ends up in slavery. And... We know that that story ends on a sort of climax with Jacob coming in with a huge chariot or a motorbike, depending on the production that you've seen. And he comes into Egypt and there's wealth and success and prosperity for, um, and, and hopes are alive for God's promise at the end of that story. But then uh, some years later, we pick up the story again and the children of Jacob, of Israel, have fallen into slavery in Egypt. And their slavery we hear is very hard. And God appears to Moses in the burning bush and says, I've heard the complaints, the God who sees, the El Roy, I've heard the complaints of the Israelites. And now I'm about to act. And I'm about to act as the Lord. There's the, uh, if you're a Hebrew reader, you can see how the Lord is written there. And roughly, that is Y-H-W-H, Yahweh, as we might pronounce it. But whenever we see the Lord in capital letters like that in our Bible, this is uh, a condensed form of this interpretation of the God, the living God, the I am. I am who I am, he says. I am the living one. So this Yahweh, it's the verb to be. It's a, it's a verb that, that means existent, living. 
not just in the present, but in the past and also in the future at the same time. The living God. So as we approach this name today, we're asking ourselves, what does it mean if God is alive? What does it mean to live in the presence of the living God? Here we are. This is the text. You probably find it easier to read it in your Bible, <laughs> but it's helpful for me to have it here. This is the text of what God says to Moses. And I've just highlighted here for myself the word now. You see, what, what God is saying to Moses here is that he didn't make himself known to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob by this name, the Lord Almighty. We see that uh, by, by the name the Lord, but as God Almighty, El Shaddai, as we've heard last week. That's in verses 2 and 3. But now something different is happening. Now it's quite interesting that if you actually look back at the verses in Genesis, you'll see that the word the Lord is used. The phrase the Lord, the name, is used in those passages. So it, does that mean that... Uh, that those phrases, that the name the Lord was inserted later on by the people who wrote um, these, these verses for us. Well, that's possible. But other commentators would say, actually what the Lord is saying here is that the significance, the weight of the meaning of his name wasn't apparent to them. But at this moment, now, at crunch time, the true significance of who God is will be made apparent to the people of God. And so he repeats this name, I am the Lord. Firstly in verse 2, and then we see bracketing this section down at the bottom here, between verse 6 and verse 8. It starts with, I am the Lord, and he finishes with, I am the Lord. The beginning and the end of the solution to the crunch is the personality, the reality of who God is, who this living God is. When I was thinking about a modern um, illustration of what it is to encounter the living God, I was led to uh, remember this guy, Jose Enriquez. You might just be able, sorry, the screen's a bit dark here for us. But you can just see him up at the top there with his blue helmet on. He's one of the Chilean miners. He's the, uh, the, one of the 33 miners who spent 69 days buried in a mine shaft last August. And uh, of the 33, he was the one that was singled out as the evangelical preacher. You can imagine being one of the other 32 miners, just checking that he hadn't brought his guitar with him. <laughs> oh dear. We are literally locked in a confined space with a Bible basher. And um, we hear from Jose Enriquez that they allocated to him the role of leading them in prayer in this predicament they found themselves in. And I've just got a little clip from an interview from him, and hopefully you'll be able to make it out, if not the, the visual, maybe the sound. But we'll see if we can play it. The world was captivated by 33 Chilean miners trapped underground for more than two months. 
and the world wept with joy as all 33 were safely lifted to the surface. Jose Enriquez was the 24th miner to reach the daylight. He's an evangelical Christian and widely credited with keeping morale high during their two-month ordeal. He recently visited Durham Cathedral as part of a UK tour arranged by the Church Mission Society. The tour is called The 34th Man, where Jose Enriquez tells people about his saviour, Jesus Christ. I went to meet him, and this is part one of a remarkable three-part interview where he talks about his astonishing story firsthand. As a man of faith, how, how did you cope with this uh, terrible uh, experience of being trapped down a mine? Bueno, lo primero que hace un hombre de fe es clamar a Dios. First thing a man of faith does is cry out to God. Y pedirle paz y and ask for his peace and, and serenity. Y eso. That's what I did. Your companions said that you played a crucial role in their survival. And what was your particular role? Bueno, al, al, al repartir tareas. As we organized ourselves after the uh, tragic event, we, re we gave out different uh, roles. Eh, mi trabajo es ese. My task was dice that don José, usted, it, Mr. José, eh, necesitamos que usted we nos need you guíe en la oración. To guide us in prayer. Y yo dije, muy bien. I said, okay, I'll be happy to do eh, this. Ningún problema, pero no problem, but hay que hay un detalle que tenemos there's que a little hablar. detail I want you to know. Eh, los hijos del Señor, the children of God, eh, clamamos a un Dios vivo. we cry out to our living God. Si ustedes quieren que yo los guíe, if you want me bien. to guide you, that's fine. Hacerlo como nosotros lo hacemos. But you must do it as we do it, with eh, the living God. De lo contrario, Otherwise, otro. look for another God. Eh dead God. No, 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 they said, that's okay. We'll go with your living God. And for some of those men, were they praying to the living God for the first time? That's right, yes, absolutely. And, and how did they uh, respond to ¿Y cómo respondieron ante la oración? Bueno, el, el interés era el propósito we had that same united interest of, getting survive, of surviving, being rescued. Empezamos a hacer so we make a chain of prayer, we make a circle of prayer. Empezamos a orar en forma participativa. And we begin to pray one by one, everyone participating, and then also letting them share their hearts and their burdens. And in that way, this community was blessed by God. Well, there he is uh, describing how the people reacted, how he led uh, this group of miners in crying out to the living God. And I found in um, Jose Enriquez's words there three echoes of God's promise here, and which I think describe exactly what God meant when he said, I am the Lord. You see, in verses 6 to 8, God is describing what the significance of who he is means for the people of Israel in their predicament, in their crunch time. Firstly, it meant that he would rescue them. God's very identity is rescuer. And here we find a bunch of miners calling out to the living God, whose nature it is to rescue them. Secondly, God's promise is of relationship with the people. He says here in verse 7, I will take you as my own people and I will be your God. And we see in the story of the Exodus, they're called to Mount Sinai. 
and they come into the presence of the living God, relationship with him. And we see, we heard of the, the miners coming into relationship with the living God as they gathered round to pray. So rescue, relationship, and identity. Jose Enriquez described this little group. I don't know if you noticed it right at the end. He said that the people were changed as the community gathered to pray. And suddenly, you find that this disparate group of miners, all with their different backgrounds, had formed a community because they'd started praying together. And here we see it in, the, in our passage in verse 8, God promising to bring the people to a land. And for the people of Israel, their identity would then, at that point, be tied up with the land itself, but they would be given an identity as a people. So God gives uh, the people an identity. We understand also, first and foremost, that Jesus here summarizes who God is for us. We see Jesus in John chapter 8 saying a stunning, stunning thing in saying, before Abraham was, I am. Now that might seem grammatically completely incorrect, but the weight of the passage is that Jesus is associating himself with this claim of God to be the living God. And that's why the Jewish people of the time picked up stones to throw at him because they felt that this was blasphemy for a mere human being to claim to be God, not just any God, but the living God. But this is the Christian claim that Jesus is exactly that, the revelation of the living God amongst us in human flesh. His name, Jesus, means Yahweh saves, that rescue element of his name. As Paul wrote to Timothy, the saying is sure and worthy of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, people like you and me. Salvation was Jesus' purpose amongst us. In relationship as well, Jesus at the communion table, we, we celebrated communion this morning as we do every Sunday at 8 o'clock. You're very welcome to join us at any of our 8 o'clock communion services. And in the communion service, we hold up the cup and say, this is my blood, Jesus' words, this is my blood of the new covenant. It's a new promise of relationship, a covenant. We've been celebrating marriage today, which is a covenant relationship in which one party gives themselves fully to the other with no holds barred. And a covenant relationship with God is no different from that. And Jesus says, I'm opening up a way to a new covenant through what I've achieved on the cross. This is uh, his reference here is to the prophet Jeremiah, where, he said, where Jeremiah said, this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord in capital letters. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts 
I will be their God, and they will be my people. Do you hear the echo there of verse 7 in our passage? You, you will be my people, and I will be your God. This is the heart's desire of the living God, is to be in relationship with the people. A relationship now we know, which has been opened to us through the blood of Christ on the cross on our behalf. And what of identity? Well, our identity is no longer tied up with a land, but it's tied up with Jesus himself. As um, Peter writes here, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people. Speaking, Peter here, speaking to people from all over the world, like you or me, in order that we may proclaim the mighty acts of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are a people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And in receiving that mercy, we become part of a people. We have an identity as the people of God, not attached to some location, geographical location, but we are people of, the people of God because the Spirit of God dwells in us. So rescue, relationship, and identity. This is what the I am means for us, the significance of it that wasn't, wasn't understood by Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But in these acts of the Exodus, we come to understand who the living God is. What he does, the living God rescues. That's what he does. The living God calls us to relationship. That's what he wants. And the living God gives us identity, his gift to us as the people of God. So we come back to the first question is, what difference does living in the presence of the living God mean for you and for me today? Do we feel as if we need rescuing? Rescuing from situations that we find ourselves in, crunch times in our life? Rescuing from the implications of our own sinfulness, if I can use that word? the things that we've done or failed to do that we're not proud of, the systems at work within us that seem to drag us down and destroy our relationships. God says, I am your salvation in this. And he calls us to relationship with him. He calls us to ident an new identity as the people of God, the church we've come to call it, not a building, but a people. So this, I think, is what it means when we sing as we sung today, and I think it's a sort of prophetic voice for us as we sing this song. I'm counting on your name. It's a tangible, real thing. This is what the children of God, as Jose Enrique said, it's what the children of God do. We call out to the living God when the crunch time hits. We count on his name as our Savior, our Lord in relationship, and the one who gives us identity.
just going to invite the, uh, the band to come back up. We're going to lead us in a final song. We're going to have a, a collection during the, taking of this song, uh, during the singing of this song. But do, don't, as if you're a guest, please don't feel obliged to give. This is really for the family of the church. But just while we're singing this song, I'd like to give us an opportunity to respond in some way. Um, it may be that you are in one of those crunch times and that you would like to have someone stand alongside you as you cry out to the living God. And if that's you, then please do come to the front as we sing and we'll, ha- we'll have people pray with you um, during that song and even after the service. Um, but do come forward if you'd like to receive prayer for that. It may also be that you can't honestly say that you are in relationship with this living God, that you've never experienced that. And we believe this is an offer extended every day to each one of us to either start or renew that relationship, which is in Jesus Christ. And we would love to pray with you also if you'd like to come forward uh, during the song or uh, after the service. And we'd love to pray with you that you would be in relationship with God. And that is a gift that he gives to us in Christ. And there's a prayer that I can lead you in um, to establish that relationship. And finally, just uh, one, another thing. Uh, just while before the service, someone came to me and said that they felt they had a word for one of us. This is something that, that happens, and we pray that it would happen more in our midst. Um, but this word was from the psalm that I read from right at the beginning of the service, Psalm 101, verse 8. And it was a word about the city. And specifically, perhaps for somebody working in a bank, uh, it was felt that perhaps that bank was HSBC, and that you felt under attack in a, in a dark place. Uh, no criticism of HSBC in particular. But that you, you're called to put on the armor of God, the promises of God, to be able to stand firm in that place. And if that's you, we'd also like to pray with you at the end of the service. So let's stand together and sing to this living God. I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder how he could love me a sinner condemned unclean how marvelous how wonderful and my song shall ever be how marvelous how wonderful is my savior's love 